Kirk Douglas, Kirk Douglas, Kirk Douglas. A friendship forged in music, a partnership in its fourth decade, a lifetime in pursuit of the perfect song, and a community built along the way. 14 studio albums and another one in the wings. The band is Sky Diggers. This is Employee of the Myth. Episode 7, Employee of the Myth. And now, in conversation with Jane Gowan of the Music Buddy Podcast, Andy Mays and Josh Finlayson. Sky Diggers. This is part two of Employee of the Myth, and this is the second group of songs. And it starts out of the gate with a super fun, upbeat, I don't know, I'd call it a kitchen party number, kind of a Josh, is written by you, Josh, right? Mm-hmm. Classic. Yeah. Double harmonies all the way through, called Employee of the Myth. Would you consider this to be an appalachian tinged song? There's violin and banjo all over there. Well... It was certainly written with the intention of being very bluegrassy, uh, and I had recorded a version of it, like a uh, which was more like that. But um, with Joby, that jo- um, bluegrass isn't really his um, uh, forte. Although Daniel Lapp is definitely well versed in that, yeah. so uh, we did when we started recording it. I think I was playing it more in that style, and then then we had a little break. Uh, Andy and Joby got COVID, and I ended up going to Daniel's uh, place in Pen- on Pender Island, and he had a piano there, and he has tons of in- instruments. And I ended up thinking, oh, you know, maybe we should try it in a different with a different feel. So this feel was more. I mean, this reminds me of uh, the Who tune. Uh, the feel is uh, moment. Mama's uh, got a squeeze, squeeze box. box. Yeah, yeah, that chest. was sort of the. Uh, the reference point, I think. I mean, it's a, and of course that's a that's a reference point to many other fields. And so we 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 when we came back from our it was about four or five days or a week or whatever it was, um, we reconvened and we tried it with that feel and uh, and that was definitely more up Joby's alley mm-hmm. as well. And it was different, which I was happy about because it's that's sort of a good sign that a song could work in different ways. So. That's right. Well, a lot of your songs can, like a lot of them translate to acoustic or full band or whatever. Right. Um, and Daniel's playing again, so great, banjo and violin. <laughs> Is there mandolin on there too? Or? I think so, yeah. I think he played mandolin as well on it. Sounds so great. And your harmonies, you know, you've been playing together now for however many years, uh, 35. <laughs> like, have you worked on blending your harmonies? Because you've both got really unique voices. Is mm-hmm. it something that just happened right from the get-go? Did you blend well, or is it something you've had to work on? That's a good question. I, I mean, we we both have yeah very distinctive voices, and sometimes the blend works better at times than than other times, and and so we just you know we accept that, and and hopefully we hear it before uh, before others do. <laughs> when it's you know when it's working, I think it it uh, it's pretty obvious to us, and when it's not working, we 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 keep we keep trying to 
smooth it out or whatever. Or we just uh, don't do it. Or we, or then we end <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah. yeah, but we try. We try, yeah. and, and it works better on some things than others. So if you're playing live one night and you find it's not working, does somebody just back we off? Usually, or what we, well, no, we usually get to that uh, decision before we play it live. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm definitely not intuitively a uh, harmony singer. You know, like that's not, I don't have that. Uh, which I think Andy is more, and Peter Cash was definitely more of a harmony singer. Yeah. And of course, now with Jesse singing with us, I mean, she sings circles around all of us. And, <laughs> uh, and she, but she, you know, I think she also, when the three of us sing together, that's a, that, that really kind of uh, fills in something between our voices, which I think is pretty great. Mm-hmm. And Derek Brady's a pretty great And Derek is also a great, great singer too. Singer. Yeah, yeah he, he adds that kind of smooth element in there. Yeah, early, kind of like solid. Wayne in the early days with Wayne had that kind of voice too. Right. You know, not, um, I don't mean this to sound the way it's going to sound, but not a, there's not a, a ton. He can sing without a lot of personality, which neither Josh nor I can do. The personality is kind of overwhelms the sound mm-hmm. for the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but But they have great voices for fitting in. Blending. Blending, yeah, not a lot of you know, a lot of not a lot of vibrato. Yeah, like when you listen to say, uh, you listen to a cappella versions of uh, the Beach Boys in the studio, you hear how uh, how little vibrato there is in their voices, right? Uh, because the vibrato, and and as I age, my vibrato, I can't control it, so it's getting. I'm starting to sound like Catherine Hepburn at times. Oh, or really? You know that. So it it. What uh, are you talking about? <laughs> so so it, it can it can really stick out when you're trying to do a harmony. Huh. Are you getting a Boston accent too as you go? Yes, yeah. yes, darling, I am. <laughs> Bobby Orr. But yep. yeah, but with Josh, you've talked about how Andy's encouraged you to sing in the past and kind of given you maybe more self confidence with your voice. Have you had a, a what kind of relationship do you have to your own singing voice? Because you do sing less than Andy on. Yeah, yeah. Well, leads. I mean, I, I mean, I also, I think of him as the singer of the band anyway. You know, like so, I don't really. Uh, um, and I, I think it just it became especially around Desmond's because I wrote a lot of those songs, and he ended up singing most of them, yeah. uh, or we sang some of them together, and Paul McLeod sang on some of those songs too. I think also. You know, sometimes it's just if you have a song, uh, you know, at some songs uh, that you don't write, you can really identify with and get behind them. Other songs you can't necessarily for whatever reason. And so I think for us, that's always important because you want to feel like that connection. And I I know I said this about um, Debris. You know, that's a song that I was playing. And of course, we both knew it. But I was playing it one day, and uh, and it just and I I know I was playing because I thought, well, I know this is a song, and he could really uh, wrap his laughing gear around. <laughs> <laughs> um, and sure enough, it was. And uh, so, uh, but songs you write that doesn't they it doesn't always translate that way, and and it's it's also a good challenge, you know. Like um, I think I said before. I would write songs that I wouldn't necessarily be able to sing. Like mm-hmm. I didn't write songs with the intention of singing them. I wrote songs with the intention of writing songs, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, 
Um, sometimes I can sing them, sometimes I can't. And sometimes uh, Yandy sung them, sometimes Jesse sung them, and I've written songs with other people. And that's, I mean, that's uh, the that's such a a compliment to have someone sing your song. Yeah, for sure. And it's nice to know. Nice to be able to give that to somebody and be humble enough to say, no, I don't really need to do this one. It's over to you, you know? Or I can't. <laughs> <laughs> but this one, you're singing leads yeah. and he's singing backups. Yeah. So maybe we could hear uh, a bit of it in studio, acoustic style. Love to. Absolutely. That's such a great, great song that you can sing around a campfire or in a kitchen party, like I was saying at the top there. And a lot of your songs are songs that can translate to that. Is it important to you that your songs are super singable and super playable for anybody in a way? I mean, uh, I mean, important. I don't know. I, I'm. Uh, I mean, I think because ideally, uh, most of our songs can work. Uh, acoustically like the two of us can do them and mm -hmm. if we can do them anyone can do them you know like I think because when we're writing or when we get together when we come together to play each other's songs it's mostly with guitar occasionally with piano but mostly with guitar so yeah I think they often translate that way yeah and we love melody and melody is what what drives people to want to sing along makes people happy yeah yeah makes me happy totally and in like today, you didn't have the banjo, which is on the actual the song that's on the record. But uh, I think about the banjo in the, in a situation like a kitchen party or something, how it just cuts through everything. Well, it's funny because we uh, we did a couple of tours of uh, of Holland and Belgium uh, in in the late '90s, 
And we had a, an agent over there who brought us over. His name was Rudolph. And Rudolph uh, had been, a, uh, I think, a, a road manager for Motorhead. And a and, reindeer. Yeah. And he, and what? <laughs> and a reindeer. And a reindeer. <laughs> Sorry. And he carried, he carried a stun gun on his person. Oh, wow. But uh, at, the end of, uh, at the end of our second tour there, we're sitting, uh, I remember we're in Belgium, we're sitting having a beer with R Rudolph and uh, and just talking, going over the tour. And, you know, it was it was fun, but it wasn't, you know, we weren't drawing great crowds or anything. But Rudolph looks at us and he goes, you know what you need? I go, no, Rudolph. You, you know what you need? No. What do we need, Rudolph? You need more fucking banjo. <laughs> Don't hear that every day. <laughs> like, okay. So, that, needless to say, that was our last tour of, uh, of Belgium and, uh, and the Netherlands. But wow. That was, uh, so, we are, uh, that one goes out to you, Rudolph, wherever you may be. So I'm assuming this title is a wordplay on Employee of the Month, but uh, it's Employee of the Myth. What is the myth? Uh, the title was taken from uh, an episode of the David Letterman show, um, My Next Guest Needs No Introduction. Oh, yeah. And uh, he did an episode, which uh, I think maybe it was season two, Two of that show with um, Shah Rukh Khan, who is a a Bollywood actor, film actor, and film producer. I mean, he's like a huge, huge Bollywood s star. And Letterman interviewed him, I think, uh, in one part in New York, and then he went to India and interviewed him there. And he, he at one point, they walk out onto his balcony. He lived in. I don't know if it's a mansion or a house or an apartment complex or whatever it was, but mm -hmm. there were thousands of fans waiting for him to walk out on the balcony, wow. and they were they'd go nuts. And Letterman walks back in, and they're and he's saying like, like how do you deal with that's just like insane. And he and he said, I consider myself the employee of the myth. <laughs> And I just thought that's a that's a cool idea, and of course the obvious is employee the the you know the it that's an easy connection and an obvious one, but it yeah. was uh, just something that resonated uh, with me as a title, and it was that was during the pandemic that I watched it, and Joel Stewart and I, uh, our producer. Yes. Uh, we're often walking during the pandemic and I told him this story and, uh, and just thought what a great title for, uh, something, you know, maybe, uh, whatever. And, you know, podcast song, whatever. And, uh, yeah. so that's where, that's where it came from. But you've turned it into something larger than just that too. I mean, the whole concept of the song, it has that kind of, you're looking out over the precipice of maybe life. I'm not sure, you know, you're standing yeah. in awe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know. I mean, certainly, uh, as as I sort of started thinking about it and what, yeah, what does it mean? You know, employee the myth. You know, like you think about, you know, it, what is fame? What is uh, 
but what you know all these different things so it was you know a lot of it the idea i think in the end was just how fleeting time is and fleeting our time in you know in this in this uh in this ride that we're on you know is. so that was that was sort of where uh but it was but also with the intention of it being kind of a like an upbeat number you know like it and which you know it, it's uh it it is, and you know Daniel really, uh, yeah, he really steps into it. In your humble beginnings, were either of you ever an employee of the month? <laughs> <laughs> not to my knowledge. <laughs> not not eligible for that. Uh, that. I don't think I was ever an employee long enough to be an employee of the month. <laughs> but you did have jobs. You did have a job together. Did, were you working at a flower shop together at some yeah, point? Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was uh, a mail order flower bulb business. It's called Crookshanks. It was yeah. a Toronto. It's a very old Toronto business. Started, huh. I think, in maybe the twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, out of the house, Clarence Crookshank and his wife started it, and Clarence. their kids. Their kids took it over, and they had a they had a house slash shop on Mount Pleasant, just north of. Eglinton, and when I moved back from England in the with the band that I played with, uh, you know, I arrived home and opened up the, you know, the uh, the employment ads in the back of the Star, and you know, saw this place phoned and went in for an interview. I interviewed with Clarence Crookshank, who was ninety four wow. at the time, and uh, and I got the job. It was seasonal work. It was like it was the shipping department, and you would they place an order. Uh, the order would be assembled, and then we would uh, we would pack it, and uh, it would be mailed out. That's and that's what we were. We were. Peter Burton was a client. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you joined after? I did. Yeah. Josh got me. Uh, Josh got you the job. Josh got me the job. I met my wife Ruth at Crookshanks. No yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. But then you wrote a song based on your job there. I think this song is based on that. A penny more, where you talk, you, you kind of theorize about asking for a raise. Right. Um, I've never asked anybody for a raise in my life. And <laughs> but if you had, so I so I wrote a song about asking for a raise. Yeah. <laughs> would you be able to play us some of that now? Absolutely, for sure. That'd be that'd be great. A penny more from Restless, nineteen ninety two. Where were you in ninety two? Good question. <laughs> The company man was singing the most beautiful song. I wasn't thinking, so I just sang along. We'll not give you any more than you deserve. I don't know why you bother asking anymore All of your charm couldn't make me change my mind I will not give you any more than you deserve I Higher, higher, you 
Thanks, you guys. It's a beautiful song, A Penny More. I've heard a story, uh, well, <laughs> a fun fact about this song is that Gord Downey, when he played with the hip on SNL in, I don't know which year, maybe around early mid-90s, when would that have been that they played on SNL, you guys? 93, 94, somewhere in around there. At the end of playing their song, Nautical Disaster, they quoted this song, A Penny More. Gord quoted this song, stepped up to the mic as kind of an afterthought almost, and quoted this song. Did you, were you guys aware of that at the time when it happened? And Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We, were, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we weren't watching it together, but, but we were both watching it. Yeah. yeah. That was very cool. Yeah. I was at a, uh, I was at a party uh, being hosted by... Uh, Gord's brother, Mike, and his partner, Caroline. Uh -huh. And they lived uh, at the time on Mutual Street, just north of uh, Girard. Uh -huh. And there was a whole bunch of us there to to have a party and, and watch the uh, watch the broadcast together. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think anybody else really noticed, but my jaw kind of hit the floor when he sang, Oh, lover, uh, you know, no one compares to you. I bet. That's great. Well, he was always one to give good shout outs to mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. his Absolutely. mates, right? And Yeah. And continues to do so. That's right. Well, thanks you guys. The album is called Bide Your Time. The band is Sky Diggers, and this has been Employee of the Myth. Employee of the Myth is hosted by Jane Gowan and recorded at Blue Rodeo's Woodshed Studio in Toronto, Ontario. The podcast is engineered by Tim Vesley, edited by Jane Gowan, and mixed by Tim Vesley and Jane Gowan. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate, review, share, subscribe, and play it loud. My name is Joel Stewart. Thanks for listening. Don't look to me for the answer. I don't know nothing anymore. I'll do my best in the meantime And wonder what it's been for Je t'aime toujours, mon amour Je t'aime toujours, mon amour Spartacus. 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 <laughs> I was down. We couldn't wait to say Spartacus. <laughs>